0: Welcome to episode 78 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Amy, Becky, and Brenda. They used the donation button on our website. Thank you, Amy, Becky, and Brenda, for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand, as perhaps few others can, So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Are you in a relationship with an alcoholic or addict? Have you ever thought, my life would be so much easier without this person? Have you ever wondered how you could leave them? If you could leave them, because it just doesn't seem possible. Today, we have four personal stories from individuals who have faced that hard question, stay or go. Before we begin, we would like to state that though we at The Recovery Show may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During this show, we will share our own experiences as they relate to this question of stay or go. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer, and I'm your host. The first segment of today's episode of The Recovery Show will be our stories of how we decided to question, stay or go. Following a musical break, we will talk about my life in recovery, about what's happening in the meetings I attend and in my life. I will follow that with your email or voice contributions and some brief news about the podcast before closing with another musical break. Today we have four personal stories and I will start with mine. I came into the program uh, because I realized that I was powerless over my wife's drinking. That was making my life crazy. And there had been some years before that realization where I did what I could to try to uh, control her drinking, which consisted mostly of trying to show her how that drinking was affecting our lives and our family and sometimes it was um really explicit like gee this dent in the car happened because you were driving after you'd been drinking and sometimes it it usually wasn't exactly that um calm okay just say it uh and sometimes uh, some 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 ways of doing that were like taking the wine bottles and sort of slamming them into the recycling so they made a lot of noise because obviously that would uh you know make it clear to her that she was drinking more than a normal amount of of alcohol yeah. and and some of it some of it was just in my head i mean it was just me trying to figure out how we were going to continue how how i could you know whatever I could do, I didn't know. I mean, it's just, there was that sort of going round and round, trying to figure out something to do and not, not you know, nothing working. And so I came into the program, and at at the time I came into the program, I had realized maybe just that day uh, that, that I was powerless. Uh, my wife was in uh, an inpatient treatment program, and I had gone up for their... Uh, Friends and Family Day. And several things happened that day. And and one thing was that I heard this message. Maybe I had heard it before, but I didn't really hear it. It didn't sink in. That the, the thing we call the three C's, that I didn't cause her alcoholism, that I could not cure it, and that I could not even control it. And when I heard that that day it just was like a light bulb that I couldn't I couldn't do it. Another thing that happened that afternoon we were sitting outside in the hall waiting for a counselor appointment and she turned to me and she said I'm afraid I'm afraid I can't live sober. I don't I don't know how to do that. And that really scared me. And I think it, it was part of what happened that day that made clear my powerlessness. So I came to Al-Anon, and I'm really so grateful that one of the things that I heard early in my time in the program was, don't make decisions right away. If you don't know what the answer is to a dilemma you're facing, you can wait and I had never really thought that was possible. I always thought that if, if there was a problem, if there was something that I needed to make a decision about, that, that I needed to make that decision right away. You know, it's a question, what's the answer? And I didn't think that, that the answer I don't know was an okay answer. I still didn't know what the answer to that question was. And, and, and to frame it more precisely... I had reached the point where it seemed to me that that living in the situation I was living in, with active drinking, with, with the total chaos and craziness that came with active drinking, it did not seem that that was something I could continue to do for very much longer. And that, I think, was true, that where I was in the spiritual, emotional place that I was, I could not continue to live with that situation and stay in any way sane, in any way—not even talking about serenity, okay—just being able to survive in that situation. I think that was true. But what I thought that meant was that the only, there were only two ways that I could go forward. Either I could continue in this crazy situation that was, that was killing me, at least emotionally and spiritually. Or I could leave. Those were the only two answers that I saw. And that's echoed in our, uh, you know, in the title of the episode today Stay or Go. I I only thought those were the options stay or go. And neither of those were something that I thought I could do. I really could not see leaving um, for many reasons because. You know, this was my wife. This was somebody that I loved. This was not somebody that I wanted to leave. I couldn't. I couldn't visualize life without her. But at the same time, life with her was unsupportable. Um, Plus, we had the usual sort of, you know, day-to-day complications, entanglements. uh, In that our finances were totally enmeshed. We had one bank account for the two of us. All our bills were in common. We had a house with a mortgage. We have children. And just the idea of trying to to tease those things apart, to separate them into two independent lives, just didn't seem possible to me. So there I was. I wasn't happy the way I was. The only way I saw to get to get better was to leave, but I also just could not see leaving. It just didn't seem possible. So neither staying nor leaving seemed possible. And so when, when the program told me, when the people in the program told me, you can wait, you know, you can make it one day at a time, and you don't have to make a decision until you really know what the right answer is for you. When I heard that, I was like, oh, really? Really? Okay, I guess I'll give that a try. And, you know, I started going to Al-Anon meetings, and and I would come home from a meeting, and my wife would say, so what are those Al-Anon people telling you? Are they telling you to leave? And I would say, no, they're not. And she would say, well, are you going to leave? And I would say, I don't know. She was not happy with that answer. And I understand that. I don't think I would be happy with that answer either. But it was the only answer I could honestly give. So what happened? Well, a lot of stuff happened. Some sobriety happened. Relapse happened. More attempts to get sober happened. More relapses happened. That's what happened on the outside. What happened on the inside was, as I came to, the, as I came to Al-Anon, I started to listen to what people said. And I started to wonder how it was that these people who had, had suffered in very much the same way that I was suffering, how it was that these people had found a life with gratitude, a life with serenity, a life with joy. And the answer seemed to be, work the program. you know, Get a sponsor. Work the steps. Go to meetings. Read the literature. Talk. Talk about your problems. Listen and so that's what i did and i think it took a couple of years of of this of and and maybe i had almost gotten all the way through the 12 steps i was working the the steps with a a small group which we in in our area we call it an a-wall group which stands for a way of life or a way of living and it was a group of started out eight people that we agreed to meet regularly. We met weekly to work through the steps in the Al-Anon book, Paths to Recovery. We would come in every week. We would talk about the answers that we had found to questions in, in that book about the particular step that we were working on. And... You know, I found in there that, well, first I found that that I was not alone, that I was not unique because, you know, the other people in the group often had answers to those questions, life experiences that were similar to mine. You know, so that helped to both encourage me in the program and to reduce shame that I was holding over some of the things that I had done in my life because I wasn't unique. It wasn't just me that was this horrible person. So I've been working the steps with this group, and I think that working working the steps, understanding what each step meant for me, taking the actions that were prescribed in each step, I really believe that that was a a huge part of my recovery. I think if I had not done that, if I had just been coming to meetings and listening and talking, that I would not have gotten to the place that I got to. And where did I get to? Where I got to was one, one day, one evening. And this is just sort of a snapshot in my head. I, I can't really say what came before or what came after, but I have this snapshot that I'm standing, I'm looking at our bed with my wife in it who has passed out from drinking. And this thought comes into my head. There lies the woman that I love, There lies the woman that I married that I want to spend the rest of my life with. And she is in the grips of a horrible disease. She's in the grips of a disease that causes her to do things that are abhorrent to me. The behavior is horrible, but she is still in there. That woman is still in there. And the disease is covering her up, but I love her and I want to stay with her. And in that moment, which could only have been the voice of my higher power speaking to me, in that moment, I knew that I would stay. And I knew that it was possible for me to stay. That whatever happened, that that I had the, the love of my higher power, that I had the support of my higher power, and that I would be able to find serenity and and even happiness while it was going on. And I think it was another year and a half after that, through no action of mine, um, that she did find her way to long-term sobriety. She's been sober for eight and a half plus years now. And, you know, I had the... uh, I had the experience... Of watching her, as she hit her bottom, as she had nothing, really nothing to do in her life but drink, and to 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 just be there and to to have that hope that that her higher power would lead her somehow to find sobriety. And one morning she woke up and she said to me, "I don't want to drink today, and I don't want to drink tomorrow. And will, will you help me?" You know, get rid of all the alcohol in the house so that I can do this. And, uh, you know, she's been sober continuously since that day. I also know that sobriety is not necessarily permanent. You know, the program has given me that. But I know, I know that whatever happens, I can be okay and that I will be able to have my own serenity and my own happiness, whatever's happening outside me. And as it says in the book, How Al-Anon Works, in the the discussion of Step 1, it says, Al-Anon does not promise that sobriety will solve all our problems. Absolutely true. Uh, We are still working on putting our life together back together. There was a lot of damage done to our relationship. There was a lot of damage done to my ability to trust. Uh, There was a lot of damage done to our intimacy. Uh, during the, the years of alcoholic drinking. But Alanon gives me a way to help to repair that, and AA gives her a way to help to repair that. And that is, that is a promise, and that is a hope. So that's my story. A few days ago, I talked to Ruth in Germany, who has uh, her own story, and let's listen to that. This is Spencer, and I'm talking to Ruth about um, her experience with the question of stay or go, whether to stay in relationship with an alcoholic or addict or to leave that relationship and Ruth, why don't you tell us um, start out by uh, talking about the relationship that uh, you had to face this decision in?
1: Yeah, hello, Spencer. Good to being back here. <laughs> and uh I really like to talk about this because it is something even though it is um some time ago it is always or still a part of my life,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and this could be something like an open talk because the decisions were not easy, yeah, and um I considered a lot, maybe to make it short i I've been um with uh, my first alcoholic friend for. Altogether for maybe eleven years,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and later on, um, he was uh, drinking secretly. So, in, when I was uh, in this relation, I didn't ever see him really drinking badly. Hmm. And later on, because I sometimes uh, I wrote diary and those things, and uh, due to other things, I remembered I knew that he got um, active using. Uh, after maybe two or in in our second or third year when we were together. And to that time, I couldn't really name what it was. It just felt awful. And so a funny thing is I I made a decision then. I said, it is not a relation I would like to with, but I love this man. I love him very much. Maybe I can't live with him, but I am loving, mm-hmm. and I want to do all the best. And so what I did, I wrote a letter to myself, in case I shall forget, that I will first take care so that he has a good life, that he has finished his uh, college, and he is in a good state, that he is happy, and then I would take care for myself on leaving. I wrote this letter, put it in an envelope, and put it in a book, and stored it away. And then I forgot it. Hmm. And then there were, yeah, I think next five, six difficult years, which I, yeah, sometimes had kind of breakdown, you know, and, and uh, we were arguing and I couldn't even name it. I And I can't remember what, what reason I take to, to argue with him, but I, I knew that I, I felt very exhausted and, and
0: confused. So, at this point, you were not attending Eleanor, is that right?
1: No, because I, I didn't even know that he was an alcoholic. Right. I just felt, uh, and I wasn't so sure about myself. I always thought that I was a crazy person, mm. you know, and I, I made him to my higher power. I thought I, I finally found that man, that other part, the better part of myself. Mm -hmm. And so I was more than willing to consider that I'm crazy. And if I only, you know, putting just more effort into this relation, then things will uh, be fine.
0: That sounds very familiar. Um, So eventually something must have happened um, that brought you to a place where you decided you could not um, continue in this relationship?
1: Uh, first thing what happened was that I found out finally that he was an alcoholic because he was telling it uh, to me
2: mm-hmm.
1: because I said uh, I was in, in a status where I can't imagine going on anymore with my life, not with our relation, but with my life. Hmm. and uh, so he told me and said um it's it's not your fault you must understand i'm an alcoholic and therefore i can't do the things you you expect from me and then i went to alagun and and um for me at that time it was no question it was uh, just another issue i i want to solve uh, mm-hmm. another problem or task which uh, uh yeah which was put on me, and I was very convinced because i I wasn't a person who gave up anything. I always achieved and uh, you know uh, was always uh, uh, among the first persons and the persons who were the latest to, to give up so i uh, at that moment it didn't come to my mind that I you know would give up uh, on, this, on this relation. And um,
0: so, so, yeah. So go ahead.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so I went to Alanon, and um, I learned a lot about alcoholism. And funny thing, at that time he wasn't drinking uh, since two years, hmm. and I didn't notice the difference. And oh, that's uh, yeah. <laughs> and for me, again, I was thinking I am crazy. But happy for me, it is still one of my favorite Alanon books. It is how Alanon works, yeah. and there there are two, three sentences in it what saved my life. It was somebody who was talking about a dry drunk,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and um, it is uh, so. I had at least one other voice who was telling me, "You are not the crazy one." And you have the right to uh to witness what is going on and you your feelings may be right too. Because before I always thought he was right and I was trying to
0: Yeah. So I think for the benefit of people who might not be familiar with that, that term dry drunk. Um, I just it's say the worst. Yeah, my understanding of what that means is this is somebody who is is not drinking, but they're still sort of in the grip of the obsession to drink. And they're just, um, as we say, sort of white knuckling it, they're doing it just by, by force of will. Um, and that, that sort of tension in them, uh, makes them, uh, often not very pleasant people to be with because they're, they're focusing on this thing that's very hard and don't have, uh, sort of spiritual energy left over to, uh, to do much else, I think. Sometimes,
1: yeah, it was exactly that, uh, like said. He was, from my point of view, um, not much more doing what was a lot for him, and I, uh, I saw that, and, and um, I could understand it, but he wasn't able doing much more than staying um, dry. Mm-hmm. Not, I'm not saying sober, and mm-hmm. um, for me, I. I tried a lot to, to change our relation. I uh, made a lot of uh, proposals, good-meaning proposals. One of, one of the things was that he had not much money, very few money. I was also poor in that time, but I was always able to do some extra work. I was going to work for 10 hours and three uh, hours in the evening to the university to make another degree. Uh-huh. And so that were my days. And then I had him calling me in the evening and uh, telling me how how bad the world was to him, how mean everybody and mistrusting me, you know, always questioning what have I done the day and so on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, somehow. He also get uh, still money from uh, his mother, which kept him in a very uncomfortable place and hmm. for me i I know how important is to is uh, it is to have your own money and yeah. so um, things like you know I I was trying to encourage him to just do a little job like um, uh, you know teaching uh, uh, school, uh, school kids and old languages he was able to speak or something like that you know just doing a small job to to get people back into life and to to start to be able to handle those things.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And for mm-hmm. me, it was, um, I know, I, I, I was very easily, uh, or it was very easy for me to do those things for him. And after some time, you know, I, I finished my, my studies, I got a very good job, and I got a lot of, uh, for me, relatively uh, uh, much money, and mm-hmm. so... Two people um, who were poor students could easily live from that money, but I know that wouldn't work for him uh, or for us both, that it wouldn't be good for our relation. And I wasn't greedy, and for me, I always, you know, I would give him all I have and would be happy for it. But since I were an Alanon, and also before, I understand that this wouldn't happen.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I I couldn't stop doing it. You know, I, it was, uh yeah, I couldn't help it. I couldn't help enabling him with, with this. I wasn't buying him alcohol, but I was giving him money. So, so he haven't, uh, to, to face the reality. And I always have to, You know, he has, uh, one day he couldn't go out of the house because it was raining. Another day he couldn't because the bicycle was broken. And next time he couldn't because he woke up too late, you know. And Hmm. so he was using all the excuses active alcoholics were using for for drinking. He was using for not, I would say, entering life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And... For me, and even so I uh, yeah, had these issues, I was quite successful in, in my career and my job. And um, it was, he wouldn't join me, for, for example, for going for holidays because he couldn't pay for it. But he wasn't good with it that I'm going alone because he was asking me, yeah, and what are you doing? So my life was progressing while he was... Yeah, staying at a point, and it was we had a lot of conflict, and I don't know, didn't know how to handle it. I didn't know how I can uh, help him and not enabling him, and I I didn't see any possibility to live my own life, and really? so and it yeah it get more difficult every every week or months, and for him I had the feeling it was only very short time while while it was for me a very long time and then I got a point I I was home on a weekend and I Mm -hmm. was alone then I had suddenly the feeling that I'm dying that every cell of my body is filled with gray smoke Hmm. and there's no life in me anymore
0: wow That, that does not sound pleasant
1: no, and I really had the feeling, this is how, you know, like animals who are separating themselves from her to, to die, to hide in the, uh, behind a bush and just die, and I had that feeling. Hmm. And then I thought, now they have to happen anything, or you or you will just die. And then it was like a very small light, which said, you should live your life and if you have to do it alone, you have to just to live. And so this I wasn't sitting and, and making a list, you know, is it good or bad or what shall I do? But it mm-hmm. was this moment where I have had the feeling I have to decide to live.
0: Yeah. Wow. And so that was the that was the moment at which you Basically, made the decision that you had to um, end that relationship.
1: Yes, it was. I I uh, I I sat uh, with this uh, thought for maybe ten days. I mm-hmm. said, I uh, I don't want to have any telephone call or anything. I have to think about something, and I give myself ten days to to think about it. And uh, yeah, after that, I. I was telling him that I that I, I have to leave. And my love didn't stop for him at mm-hmm. that moment and it hasn't stopped until now, you know?
0: Yeah, so you you still feel that love for him but you know that you, you can't have him active in your life. Is that the way you would say?
1: Yes. And it is, um, of course, he uh, he was uh, not very happy about my decision and he was asking me, he said, can't you give me another chance? And I said, I had given you so many because, you know, I, I was really trying to prove my uh, relation. I said... Let us do a therapy together, or let us move in together, or this or that, and I wasn't threatening him. And I didn't know it for myself, you know. I don't want to set up a condition and say, you have to do this, or otherwise I, I will leave you. But I was just telling him what, what, I, uh, what I think was uh, what I need and what would improve my situation, but he always denied and he uh, he said, "Yeah, I'm, uh, you know, I'm fighting a very difficult battle here, and you have to understand." And I understood, but I but I couldn't be it anymore. Yeah. So I'm, and it was maybe two or three weeks ago that I I dreamt from him. I dreamt that I meet him, and mm-hmm. a location, and that he was. Uh, uh, he was older, of course, but he looked healthy, and um I took in my arms, and there was all this love I remembered. Mm-hmm. I woke up and I was very sad. But for me, I would say lucky for me I um we exchanged uh, some emails in um the time afterwards, and he was really mean to me. Mm. And he was writing a lot of angry emails and excusing me, accusing me, and so on. And in those emails, and I'm I'm lucky to have them, I I will keep them,
2: Mm.
1: I could see that this person, which I loved, isn't there anymore. Mm. You know, it wouldn't be just me taking the phone and say, "I, I want to see you again, but it really had changed uh, through the years, and uh, there wasn't a way to, to the person I loved. Mm. It is often said you, you can hate the disease and love the person, but then you have to have a chance to, to meet that person from time to time at least. Or there have to be space for yourself to live. And I think that is, that's important, that you, you have to look, how is my life with this person? is there a life for me? Is there space for me? And there are a lot of things. You know, it was in the first one and a half year, I, I experienced very different pain. First, you know, I was afraid of being alone, living my life alone. And But after a while, I also discovered I could see so the denial left me, and I could see how he had treated me. You know that he treated me very bad and and did a lot of bad things to me, which I suffered from a long time. You know, I couldn't, for instance, when when we sleep and uh, slept in the same um, same room. Not only is the same bed, but also in the same room. And I I moved, I turned during the night. He woke up and he was shouting at me and said. You know that I can't, uh, that I don't have good sleep, and you're waking me up. And so, years later, I could hardly move during the night.
0: Hmm.
1: And I had to acknowledge those things. And that was very painful, too. Mm-hmm.
0: So, how did the, um, how did Elanon, um, and what we said, Elanon, help you to come to your decision? And maybe how did the program help you um, afterwards? Do you have thoughts on
1: that? Uh, first, I, I had a very good friend uh, at, at my start in al So there were people, and there were people who understand. People, you know, uh, who are not good advices. Like sometimes, you know, a woman had to wear the, uh, the pants in a relation, and you have to decide <laughs> and those things. But he, people who understand how it is to love somebody but, you know, get hurt. By them at the same time and and wh- where I could just go with my pain and with my sorrow and not getting advice advices like maybe you can go back and maybe you can do that that was so at first there were the people in the program who I understand mm-hmm. but also yeah that I um, could really look at me and and see what what were my what I was doing wrong, I would say, uh, in, uh, in that relation or, you know, the, the missing self averse and it's going down like a spiral. Mm-hmm. And now for me, I'm, uh, if I'm taking my, myself back too much or too soon and not taking care for myself, then I can't blame another person. You know, if I don't tell them, you have to stop here. Um, Then I really, you know, um, yeah, or I don't have to feel like a a victim. And I learned that I I have to take more care for myself. And it's the reason why I I could um, get in this relation or get uh, sucked so much in because I had not much self-worth. And uh, having... Value for yourself also improves the relation with other people and giving, making your, uh, giving you the possibility to have a healthier relation also with other people. Now, yeah. mm-hmm.
0: Well, thank you so much, Ruth, for your time uh, and your, your story. And, and I hope that your experience may speak to, uh, to somebody else who is struggling with this decision right now.
1: Um, I want to say it is, uh, maybe for the end, it is a uh, somewhat sad experience, but what I will be, always be grateful for is that I came to al because even though this relation ended, uh, Al-Anon is a very important part of my life. And, yeah, I'm grateful for that.
0: Mm. Thank you. Thank you. I got an email from Jennifer. Uh, She says, I wanted to record and send you a voice memo, but I won't have time to do that today. Jennifer says, so I have been living with an alcoholic spouse for about five years now, and so far have chosen to stay in the marriage. Some factors for me are kids. On the one hand, they've been so young for most of this, four and five now, that I think they haven't been aware of what's going on. On the other hand, That won't be true forever. Two, family. Neither of us has any relatives that have been divorced. Both of our sets of parents are still married, and there are no divorced brothers, sisters, cousins, nothing. Three, on the one hand, there haven't really been concrete consequences of the drinking in our situation. No legal problems or lost jobs. On the other hand, our financial situation is dismal. And there's no doubt that we could be doing something a lot more productive with the money that has been going to the liquor store. This is the source of a lot of resentment for me. And four, on the one hand, I don't like the alcoholic much. On the other hand, I'm pretty sure my loved one is still there somewhere. The list goes on and on. Now, for the first couple of years, I didn't really realize what a problem the drinking was. Our family was hit particularly hard by the recession, and we had two very small kids and very little money. So that might make anyone depressed or make them drink. I made lots of excuses in my mind for his behavior, and it wasn't until about two years ago that I sort of came to the realization that I was dealing with alcoholism. I knew there was problem drinking, but it took a long time to see the whole situation clearly. My approach during the last year or year and a half or so, has been to ask myself daily, if necessary, can I stay today? And know that if the answer was yes for today, I would ask again tomorrow and say maybe no. Saying I can stay on any particular day does not mean I'm stuck with that decision forever. I don't remember for sure, but I think this is an approach that came directly from listening to The Recovery Show. So the other question Spencer posed at the end of episode 75 was, what kind of relationship can you have with the alcoholic? Can it be close, or does there need to be some distance? I talked in the Living with Active Alcoholism episode about the fact that I had to create some distance. It was an important step for maintaining my sanity to emotionally detach to a degree. My spouse, in turn, resents the fact that I am not as emotionally available as I once was. I've built walls that are definitely a barrier to us restoring our marriage, but I don't know that I had any other choice at the time. Fortunately, my spouse has taken steps toward sobriety over the last six weeks or so, so I'm cautiously optimistic that maybe these concerns can one day be a thing of the past for me. Time will tell. Thanks for letting me share. And and thank you so much, Jennifer, for writing. Um, and uh, I, w- I would have liked to have a conversation, but um, last time we uh, we looked at that, uh, it just our schedules didn't didn't mesh. When when Jennifer was available to talk, I was not, and vice versa. But I appreciate uh, that she wrote and the openness and honesty in that share because I really hear a lot of my own experience um, in what she said. And our our final story today is from Julia, with whom I had a a phone conversation a little while ago. Let's listen. I'm talking to Julia today about the topic, stay or go. Hi, Julia. Hi,
2: Spencer.
0: So I I know you have a story, and uh, maybe mm -hmm. you could just tell us.
2: Yeah,
3: sure. Well, um, when I first came into Al-Anon, it was in... October of 2012, and I had been with my boyfriend for um, six years about at that time, uh, maybe a little more than that. Uh-huh. And I was at my wit's end because uh, I had spent a lot of that time trying to cover up the alcoholism that was very rampant and had just been getting worse from the time that um, that I had started dating him.
2: Mm-hmm. I
3: started dating him when I was um, eighteen, in mm. my freshman year of college. Uh, so we had uh, we had met kind of online, and then um, started kind started dating, and it it got serious pretty fast. And he was really my only real relationship, my only uh, boyfriend. So um, you know, I really it was kind of one of those whirlwind things. As I hear oftentimes happens, and um, we started living together pretty quickly, uh, I'd say a year into the into the relationship, mm-hmm. uh, even though I was still in school full time, um, and we spent almost all of our time together. So when I came into Al-Anon, it was really it was just kind of a, it was, I was at a very difficult point in my life, just generally speaking. And I, um, I was sick and tired of keeping the secret. So, mm-hmm. uh, Al-Anon really helped me with that. And I remember going to my first meeting and just being afraid because I didn't want to face the fact that I wasn't—I didn't really want to stay in this relationship, but I was afraid of basically of his reaction, which. Is kind of an insane thought to think that I was basing my entire my decisions upon whether or not the other person would be happy. I mean, that's classic codependent. Um, yeah. So, but in my first meeting, I was told, you know, um, don't make a decision about the relationship. Don't make any major decisions for at least six months.
2: Mm-hmm. Or like, take
3: six months to a year. And I, I was in my <laughs> I can't wait six months to make mm-hmm. a decision. But it's good because I could not decide on, you know, what bread at the store to get. So how was I going to make a major life decision about mm-hmm. what I wanted to what kind of relationship I wanted to have. And um so I'm really glad that I that I took that advice and I worked the program really, really hard for the first um for the first actually it was a year. Um uh, before I was able to make the decision that I did make, but every day before that, I made the decision to stay in the relationship mm-hmm. and to work on myself and to work on trying to trying to see really where where we were because I had to get honest with myself in order to know really what um, what kind of decision I should make for myself and for the best of the relationship really. Mm-hmm. There are a couple of reasons that uh, that I decided to end the relationship, which I did in November of this past year, of mm-hmm. 2013. Um, w- one was definitely that I had um, I realized that I I could no longer support um, two people under the same roof, and the only way that I could find that I would stop enabling was to end the relationship Mm -hmm. and um, I know that a lot and the boundaries that I was setting weren't working and I was the one breaking them for sure but I knew that in order for in order for me to actually keep my word I had to make a different kind of a boundary and it was that if I if I can't live with this I'm going to have to um, I'm going to have to make a different decision here of and, you know, of whether he can stay. Mm-hmm. And so that was one of the major decisions um, or one of the major reasons, I should say, that I that I came to my conclusion. Um, the other one was that I was becoming a little stronger in my own sense of self-worth mm-hmm. and uh, starting to look at things a little more honestly. And I realized that um, I had kind of allowed myself to become... Um, or I had become a victim um of quite a bit of emotional abuse,
2: mm. and
3: it was really difficult to see emotional abuse when when you're in it because it's not it doesn't leave the same kinds of bruises um, that physical abuse can have and um and so it was really confusing i was I, I was often feeling like I was being gaslighted, you know, like told I'm crazy for saying something when I'm you know for things that are not crazy and mm-hmm. Al Anon helped me to see the reality of this. <laughs> um mm-hmm. what I, how the things that I feel and think are real and they're they matter. Yeah. Um unfortunately his disease had um progressed quite a bit and so he was really paranoid about um about the relationship ending. He hated Al Anon, hated everything to do with Al Anon mm-hmm. and um and Accused me of like being addicted to the program, which I thought was funny. Um, but I think that putting up with that sort of, that sort of back and forth all the time, mm-hmm. just, um, I mean, I, I, I had to drop the rope. I mean, I, I was sick of, I was sick of playing that tug of war. There's, there was no reason to continue it. And it was not helping him. He, you know, enabling him was not helping me at all and not helping him. Mm-hmm. And it was really, really just a harmful, cyclical situation. So, um, these are all sorts of the reasons that I decided to end it, plus one, plus a couple of reasons that have absolutely nothing to do with alcoholism. But I needed to address the alcoholism in order for me to understand um, the other things that were wrong with, um, with us being together.
0: Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, and I wonder if you were able to um, enlarge a little bit on how al helped you to see uh, what was going on, what that, you know, helped you to see the emotional abuse and, and the other things that were going on more clearly. You, you know, you talked about not being able to see it when you were in it, you know, was it just identifying with other people's stories? Was uh, Did you take do an inventory and see it then or, or do you really know how that happened?
3: Yes. I mean, well, it, it's, you know, it's one of those weird things you know, you come to, and I guess that's what it was. It was coming to when I, I mean, my first Al-Anon meeting, like when I came in there and I saw, I I mean, first of all, knowing that there was Al-Anon just like shocked me because I, I thought that I was alone,
2: Mm
3: Like you know, I I mean, I knew that there was alcoholism everywhere, but I didn't, or you know, that people lived in alcoholism, but I didn't ever think that there would be specific groups for people who dealt with it. And, So even just coming into the meeting, I felt a sense of relief, and I felt like, oh, okay, Um, especially the line in the opening or in the closing, I think maybe, um, whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. And that that really gave me a sense of relief of, oh, okay, I I actually can talk about what's really going on in my life, because to my friends and uh, my family, I had been pretending that it wasn't as bad. (laughs) Uh-huh. And I had um you know I had covered up and made excuses for things that were that were not my responsibility to make any excuses for um but I made them that, and I think listening to other people's shares uh about their own experiences made me realize that um that the the depths of alcoholism, like what it does you know physically but also what it does mentally to um To the alcoholic and to the people around them. Um, Mm -hmm. and it helps me to kind of, uh, skew my perspective a little, a little further in a, I would say the right direction into a healthier direction. Mm Um, my, once I got a sponsor, my sponsor helped me so much. Mm -hmm. Um, because I could call her and in a tearful fit saying that I was feeling anxiety and I didn't know why I was feeling so much anxiety. Uh, there was no reason to. And then we would kind of go through things and, okay, so, okay, you had a bad day at work, it sounds like. Okay, so um, so your boyfriend is mad at you right now for this thing. Okay. It, and we would go down the checklist of, of things that actually were indeed making me anxious. And it was talking it through with someone else that really helped me. And one thing that she used to say all the time to me, and she still does, When I'm worried, when I want to know what to do about something, because decision making is a really hard thing for me, Mm -hmm. she would say, What is the healthiest choice for you? Yeah. Not what is, what do you want to do, but what is the healthiest choice for you? And that made me really think about treating myself right and, um, and making sure that, uh, you know, that I was listening to my own body, to my, to my heart and to my higher power. And I'm really really grateful that she was able to just say those things, say that to me all the time. <laughs>
0: wow. You know, that's an excellent excellent expression of the uh the kind of help that we can get from a sponsor or from another program member um in terms of helping clarify what's going on in our lives, clarify what we're thinking, what we're feeling.
3: Oh yes, absolutely. Right. And, and she, she was really good at like, she, she, and she still is. She's very good at helping me to just sit, sit down and relax, take a breath, and, and she's not going to be sick of like a story. I'm afraid that if, you know, I, I always used to think that I would be burdensome. Mm-hmm. And I think everyone does. I think mm-hmm. everyone has that, um, that feeling that, oh, I, I don't want to call this person, um, You know, I don't want to bother them with this story that I've already told someone else, or that I've already told in a meeting, kind of. But really, I'm—it's a give and take. Everyone um, has something to say, and everyone has something to gain from listening as well. You know?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I do know (laughs) having (laughs) been on both sides.
3: Yeah. 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 Okay.
0: Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much. A pleasure to talk to you.
3: It's a pleasure
0: to talk to you, too. All right. Bye-bye for now. Bye. After a short break, we will continue with Our Lives in Recovery, where we talk about the meetings we attend and what's happening in our lives. I'm going to take a break with the song, Stranger in My House, by Tamiya. And Akilah suggested this song. She wrote, When one of my friend's parents was struggling with addiction, she said her other parent related a lot to this song, Stranger in My House by Tamia. Thought it might be a good fit for the Stay or Go episode. And so I went and and listened to it and it starts out with these lyrics which man, I, I tell you it just about tore my heart out because it felt so familiar. I don't understand. You look just like the man in the picture by our bed. The suspense is pounding and clouding up my head. I'm checking your clothes and you wear the same size shoe, you sleep in his spot and you're driving his car, but I just don't know who you are. There's a stranger in my house, took a while to figure out. There's no way you could be who you say you are, you've got to be someone else. You sleep in his spot and you're driving this car This section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery, about what's happening in our meetings and in our lives this week. And uh, I was thinking back over the week, and a couple of uh, my meetings stand out. The uh, The lead at the meeting on Wednesday was about letting go, and there, there were a, a lot of good shares about the ways in which um, we let go of the things that are not in our control in our lives, and particularly in the way in which we let go of the struggles of our loved ones, whether it's alcoholism or somebody else, something else. And uh, I've also taken a commitment at that meeting. Uh, We have, after the meeting, we have a a meeting for, a small meeting for newcomers, which is uh, an opportunity for uh, our newcomers to the program to uh, share what's going on in their lives and to ask questions that may be uh, confusing or whatever, uh, about, about Al-Anon in general, and uh, maybe, you know, their situation in particular. And so uh, I agreed to lead this meeting for the next couple of months. And it, you know, it's always an opportunity for me to kind of go back to what brought me here, and and what I found here. And that was definitely true on Wednesday. Um, my meeting on Saturday is a step meeting. We talked about step two. It's, it's always good for me to revisit step two because uh, of the struggle I had in, in finding a connection to a higher power and accepting the notion that there was something greater than myself that could restore me to sanity, as step two says. And it's um, it's interesting because this morning at church, um. The topic of the sermon was providence, and talking about how for those of us um, who—well, this was my take of the sermon, this is what spoke to me, that for those of us who do not believe in um, a God who intervenes personally in our lives, who, as uh, as the minister put it, suspends the law of physics for the benefit of the individual— that, that, that's just not in my personal belief set. How do we see providence acting in our lives? You know, how do we see this sort of, I don't know, I take providence and grace to be somewhat similar, that grace is unmerited favor of God. How do we see these acting in our lives? How do we see um, life as good if we're only there for it? Um, I'm, still, I'm still kind of processing um, some of the, the some of the questions that he asked but um, one of the one of the things he said that really spoke to me he said God is not a name God is a symbol and what does that symbol mean to you and and that again that helps me to clarify because when I talk about um, you know second step when I talk about God or the power greater my higher power that I can't define I can't name my higher power but I know um, that that there is one there and this notion that I don't, I don't name God by saying the word God, that that God is a symbol that stands for the ways in which, um, you know, the universal spirit, if you will, or the universe or other people or the program, the ways in which I am guided and cared for, um, this this power greater than myself that is able to do that um is the symbol or that god is the word god is the symbol for that yeah so that's that's where i am this week questioning always questioning and speaking of questioning i have not selected a topic for next week got some thoughts uh, send them to me quickly uh, at least before the uh, the 29th of june 2014. And, uh, you know, I might pick the topic you want to talk about, you want to hear about. Because uh, I don't know what I'm going to talk about next week. We do welcome your thoughts, as I said. Um, Join the conversation. Leave a voicemail or send an email with your experience, strength, and hope your questions. And how does that happen? Well, you can call and leave us a voicemail at phone number in at least the North American numbering system which US and Canada um, I'm not sure what else 734 707 8795 that goes straight to voicemail just wait for the end of the you know somewhat lengthy message and uh, and leave your your message leave us um, you know your experience strength and hope your questions that's 734 707 8795 you can also use the voicemail button on our website. And i got to admit, I find actually that, that button a little annoying sometimes, the way it keeps popping up this, we want to hear from you message, at least it does for me. But uh, you can contact us that way. Just talk to your computer. Awesome. And if you prefer not to use your voice, you can send us email. And that address is feedback at com. Again, that's feedback at com. And we would love to hear from you. Speaking of therecoveryshow.com, that's our website. And it has everything that you need to know about the show. Those uh, contact information, the email address, and the phone number are right there on every page. We have uh, notes for each episode. Periodically, we post meditations to the website. And we have uh, links to the music we play links to other recovery podcasts and other uh, recovery websites that we like. You can contribute to the content of the podcast and the website in many ways. You can leave comments on the website, the blog, Uh, take a look at our suggested topic list, and uh, let us know if you uh, are really interested in one of those. Uh, Suggest music. Both the uh, music uh, selections for this episode were suggested by listeners, uh, by you. Uh, I love it when people suggest music because that's less work I have to do. Yeah. Think about contributing a guest meditation um, or uh, whatever. Uh, And if you'd really like to join the conversation, consider being a guest host by phone or Skype or other um, electronic medium. You can email feedback at the recovery com If you're interested and we'll set it up like Amy last week or uh, Julia and Ruth, uh, in this week's episode. So uh, we got a little bit of email this week. Uh, We got some email from Brian. Uh, He sent uh, a meditation about denial with these words. Thanks for reaching out to me in one of your podcasts. I'm still listening to them on a daily basis, but I have been rather occupied since we emailed. Same story, different addict. You know the drill. We thought our loved one bottomed out. Not. The rescue, rehab, Kicked out of rehab, it seemed like we were right back where we started. Well, not exactly. I changed and my wife changed. Even though I reckon myself quite highly about the nature of addiction, if these last few months have taught me anything, it is that I know shit about the nature of denial. The power, destructiveness, and tenacity of the evil that denial personifies. And he sent um, a meditation that we will post to the website. And he continues, I will also sing you the link to the song that is the key to the whole deal. Joe Cocker says it all in his song, Edge of a Dream. The best thing about the Nile is leaving it behind. <laughs> Easier than it looks. And, uh, and then um, maybe a day or two later, he sent me another email uh, about the episode on recovery on the road or recovery while traveling. Suspense, your podcasts are key. Not a day goes by that I don't listen to your podcast or Mark's. From a covered while I work out at the gym. I really got a lot out of the one on how you can work the program when you are on the road. It had special meaning because I had just spent three weeks in business on a, in a major city close to where I live. I was really stressed because this is the first time that I would be leaving my home group for any length of time. Naturally, this was when my loved one was in the middle of his rehab visit trying to tell the team he really didn't have a problem. It turned out to be a great experience. Got to a different meeting almost every day, made some great new friends, and got to experience the different cultures of the different meetings. I understand now what they mean, that the meetings all follow the same format, but they are all different. It also gave me the confidence to perhaps do some service in our home club. They're looking for a new uh, meeting slash club rep to connect with the rest of the Alan universe. Still need my wife to sign off, but it's something I would like to try in the next year or two progress, not perfection. Yep. Keep up the good work. It's really interesting how you demonstrated the program and how you carried on with the show after Kelly and Swatha left. As they say on Broadway, the show must go on. It's easier than it looks, I know. Asking people as guests is a continued source of stress. Keep up with the podcast. They mean so much. Thank you, Brian. And and thanks, Brian, for, for your um, support, for your continued support, and uh, for the understanding that you know, what we are doing, what I and my guests are doing here is is helping people. iTunes reviews and ratings help to make us easier to find by those in need who are seeking recovery. And if you're concerned about your anonymity, you can give us a rating without writing a review, and your identity will not be shown. We got a couple of new reviews recently, and thank you to both of you so much. One person writes with the, the heading Gracious Listener, I have been scouring the podcast world for all sorts of things related to Al-Anon, forgiveness, overcoming anger, etc. I have listened to everything from sermons to marriage counselors to very generic Al-Anon podcasts. Its podcasts you have provided have been exactly what I've been searching for the last few months. I'm sincerely gracious that I have somehow stumbled upon this, and I can't wait to listen to them all. Thank you for bringing an element of normalcy to a topic that otherwise makes other lives completely crazy. Thank you. And uh, Bonnie in Virginia writes a wonderful podcast. I'm new to Al-Anon, but not to the 12 steps. And this podcast is helping me so much in my relationships at home. I recommend it to anyone who wants to add more to their recovery toolkit outside of meetings and when it isn't possible to read literature. Uh, Thank you to both of you. And, you know, as the first review said, uh, you know, scouring the podcast world, so it really is true that that getting um, good reviews on our podcast helps to make it more visible in in iTunes. It helps to bring it near the nearer to the front of the search when people are searching for for help. Uh, so, if you are in, have found value in our podcast, and you are willing to uh, to leave a review, please please do not for my ego's sake, but for the sake of the people who are looking for help. Brian mentioned the Recovered podcast in, in his note. And, uh, you know, we have a special relationship with Recovered because it was Mark who hosts Recovered that got me into podcasting and really sparked the formation of the, Re- of the Recovery Show podcast. Uh, he actually found the, the web domain for the Recovery Show. And uh, so, you know, Mark's uh, podcast is more uh, AA focused, but you will find, I think you will find if you listen, that the principles of recovery um, are the same no matter what program you're in. And I know I find a lot of value uh, from listening to Recovered. So check it out. It's at recoveredcast.com or, uh, you know, search in, uh, in the App Store or in iTunes for Recovered, and I think you will find it. and Check it out, really. Um, many of our episodes are recorded live. Uh, this one was not, because it's mostly put together from some pre-recorded interviews. Uh, and uh, I also have not been recording live when um, I have a host who is is joining via phone or Skype, because I just don't really uh, trust my technology ability to be able to do that. But when uh, when I'm recording in the studio with an in studio guest, we do record live, and you can listen. Uh, just click the listen live link at the top of the page, and we will post on the website uh, as uh, as we're preparing to record live. Uh, hopefully, a couple days ahead, so you can uh, you can be there. You can interact with us and with other listeners in the chat room. So uh, check that out. It uh, doesn't cost you anything to listen to The Recovery Show. We do have expenses. They run about $60 a month. You can help to support us and keep us on the web and in your ear uh, in in a few ways. Uh, first, we have a donation button on the website where you can support us directly, just like Amy, Becky, and Brenda did. And thanks again to Amy, Becky, and Brenda. We have also put together a list of recovery-related books. If you click on the books link at the top of the page, you will find um, uh, a list of, of books that, um, you know, are about recovery or uh, related to recovery that, that we have uh, read and, uh, and recommend. And if you buy any of these books from Amazon by clicking on the link on our website, we will receive a small commission. Uh, in fact, uh, if you click through to Amazon and, and anything you order in that same session, uh, will uh, will help us. We get a little commission, and it costs you nothing extra and does help to keep us on the air. But thank you for your support in whatever form you give it, whether it's monetary, whether it's uh, email, voicemail, or you know just listening, maybe uh, recommending the show to your friends. We uh, do appreciate it, and we are here for you. I want to close the show with the song Fear by Sarah McLaughlin. And this was suggested by Annie. Uh, She says, It speaks to feelings of helplessness, vulnerability, and angst associated with these relationships. And she quotes some lyrics. Morning smiles like the face of a newborn child, innocent, unknowing. Winter's end, promises of a long-lost friend, speaks to me of comfort. But I fear I have nothing to give. I have so much to lose here in this lonely place, tangled up in your embrace. There's nothing I'd like better than to fall, but fear, I fear I have nothing to give. I know I have felt, you know, that fear in my relationships and the fear of falling, the fear of, you know, my loved one falling was was definitely there.